back, everybody, to the TV podcast, Game of Thrones coverage, season seven, episode one, Dragonstone. I'm Jason Snell, and joining me to talk about Game of Thrones, as usual, although it's been more than a year, Monty Ashley. Hello. Hi, Jason. If it's the middle of July, that must mean winter is here. It, it does indeed. It's winter in July, just like it is in New Zealand. And Brian Hamilton is also here. Hi, Brian. Shall we begin? Hmm. I think we shall. Um, now, to, to those who, who like to listen to this podcast the, immediately following the episode airing, or like the next morning, uh, we didn't record it then. We recorded it the day after it aired, mostly because I was traveling. Uh, we, will, we will endeavor in future to record and release the podcast the night that the show airs, but we can't make any provinces. We will try as much as we can. All right, let's get started and talk about things that happened on Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 1, Dragonstone. I think, Monty, I know you love to analyze what these titles mean. I think this is a gimme. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's a stone dragon in that one uh, throne room in the castle that Daenerys took over, whose name I don't remember right now. Yeah, it's it's dragon <laughs> thingy, dragon something. Dragon glass, dragon riders dragon friends i don't know something like that some sort of dragon related paraphernalia yeah. it's dragon's tone the tone you hear when there are multiple when there dragons. are many dragons which there are there are three and they're flying around but we'll get to that that's the end of the episode um in our way if for those who don't remember how we do this we try to uh organize our our review based on the different locations there were many locations this time, but I'm going to roll it. So it's not going to be entirely in chronological order because I want to not have to kind of reach back for an, uh, a second scene with the same people that we just already talked about. So let's start with Arya Stark, or should I say, let's start with Walder Frey because we have a nice little flashback and uh, as i like to call it a filchback in this case but it's not a flashback that's the that's the reveal david bradley comes back and momentarily i think we think uh well wait a second we saw him die what what is this is this a past event with walter frey and the answer i don't know i got about 20 seconds in and i was like oh i see what's happening here because (laughs) it's Arya with his face on uh so that she can uh, lure all of the leading lights of house frey together and poison them poison them all with wine which she does and they all die stand together those are very good masks the way they give you an extra three or four inches of height and change your voice completely well it's magic <laughs> they're that sure. they're that good i think she's maybe wearing like lifts in her shoes or something to to compensate but they've got i mean face the faceless men all, must also have height technology right height par- paraphernalia of some sort if they truly need to, if a faceless man is told to pretend to be Tyrion Lannister, surely there is a way for the faceless men to do that. I'm just saying. I don't know what it would be. I hope that there isn't, and that at some point we see a faceless man disguised as Tyrion, but like a foot too tall. Mm. Not a full <laughs> six-foot guy, but just... Just a little bit off. A little taller than actual Peter Dinklage, so you go, wait... What, what's going on with that guy? Yeah, you know, the Apologies potion's starting to wear off. They're starting to grow back again. And then they stop. And yeah. it gets really weird. Yeah, exactly. So Winter, tell tell them Winter came for House Ray, she says. And the, there's a David Bradley gets to give a very nice speech as not quite Walter Frey, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And with the continuing, hey, and you killed everybody in the Red Wedding, right? Yay! You know, you brought them in and you fed them in your home and then you killed them. That's they were they, they were innocent 
mothers and children and yay. And everybody's like, it's a nice moment because Arya's so good. She knows when the poison's going to kick in and when she can drop the act. So just as she begins to make that turn and, and kind of stick the knife in rhetorically is pretty much exactly when everybody there begins vomiting blood. So, you know, she's a pro. <laughs> you know, I feel that like the cat in the adage, Arya thinks of nothing but murder all day. Is there an adage about a murderous cat? Well, no, but that part of what I said was a reference to a P.G. Woodhouse rephrasing of a biblical uh, proverb. Okay. I've missed talking to you, Monty, a yeah. lot. There's a thing Bertie Wooster usually can't remember about a cat that lets I, I dare not sit upon I would, and then Jeeves always explains it. Like the cat in the adage. Good. So footnotes are available for those who don't follow along. But this is what we're here for. This is what we tune in for. <laughs> I really love that um, even though, up, up until like the point where people start retching over in pain, Arya, as Walder, is still kind of on about, uh, oh, you did the Red Wedding. This was really, really good. And the instant he brought up the Red Wedding, everyone around started getting uncomfortable and i loved thinking that oh you know maybe maybe they're all still kind of uh guilty about it that they uh, did all these terrible terrible things to the starks and then i realized oh no wait they're all about to die uh i i didn't realize until much much later into the scene than you two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i was immediately shouting don't drink that oh I, yeah I, I pretend to drink i pour it out i'm not drinking i don't care you girl to next to, i'm not next wasting good wine don't. on a woman yeah oh yeah yeah. Don't, Whatever don't DM this. was watching me in that situation, I'm saying, nope, yep. nope. Absolutely. Well, that that's that whole scene, and but it, it is the opening, according to the producers uh, in the little bonus thing at the end, that this was not scripted as being the cold open, but they loved it, and especially <laughs> David Bradley's performance so much. And it's such a great, like, it's such a great moment. Winter has come for House Frey tell them and she marches out and i had i kept thinking about the logistics of this which is he says it's the second feast in a fortnight so for several days if not a couple of weeks she's been uh she's been pretending to be walter frey which is interesting and then also i thought about the timing of it because like there's the high-ranking fraser in this room but there's like there's got to be other people in the castle and she kind of strides out smiling and leaves a couple of witnesses and, and intentionally but i had those thoughts of like you know be very sure that everybody drinks it you know or, or you're gonna have to kill the ones who who don't drink it and I, i'm sure she had that thought that that she would do that but i like it doesn't we don't get into it in the story but i keep thinking thinking like make sure you got everything locked down here are you i know that this is a really nice stunt and you feel very poetic about it but like if a couple of those guys don't drink the wine you're gonna have to you know you're gonna have to fight them and she's still gonna need to escape the twins you know which she does of course but it's just like it's probably more complicated than than what we saw here but it worked really well and she has a huge body count lead going into the rest of the season Mm -hmm. yeah she is she is (laughs) Uh, yeah, on the scoreboard first. It's important to get on the scoreboard first with the with the Her KD ratios off the charts. So uh, she comes back later, where she is headed to King's Landing for to cr- scratch another person off her list, which would be Cersei Lannister, and uh, she runs into some soldiers who are singing. Apparently, the guy who's singing is. A well-known singer who I did not recognize. I did not recognize, nor have I heard of, nor upon checking Twitter this morning had I rec- did I recognize any of his songs. But Ed Sheeran's a guy. 
Is he? I know Ed Sheeran. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're 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 our Ed Sheeran man, Brian. What do you got? <laughs> no, I'm not. I thought it was a joke. I saw on Twitter, oh, Ed Sheeran was in Game of Thrones last night. Interesting. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's a funny joke, blah, blah, blah. And I... Turns out that was actually Ed yeah. Sheeran, and it made sense to me when they were singing. Uh, my, my main concern about the scene was that they were singing, oh, how soft a woman's skin is, and then Arya shows up, and I was really scared Game of Thrones would do more terrible things, but turns out they just gave her some uh, rabbit's nail, and it was great. I feel yeah. like they were going against type there, right? Which is, they're singing a song, yeah, hands of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm, which, hey, they hired a guy who can actually sing to sing that, um, and then he's got, a, like, a line other than that. But uh, she, you know... They give her some rabbit, and uh, and they and and it, they're they're just doing what you know they they said, which is they're being charitable. These soldiers who are hanging out while they're marching somewhere. It's nice that there's finally a third song in Westeros to go along with the one about the bear and the reigns of Castamere. Yeah, it's a new one. Although I would pick the National over Ed Sheeran any day. It still means nothing to me. This is exactly oh, yeah. like people said. <laughs> hey, did you know that's really Kate Nash and Glow? And I said. Huh? Huh? Wait, Kate Nash is in Glow. Oh, my oh I God. need to watch that now. Turns out she's the British one. So, oh, the British one <laughs> makes sense. So these are, um, <laughs> if I'm getting this right, these are Lannister armies because they're being sent to keep the peace at the Twins. They've got red on them. Is that right? These guys are in a Lannister army. Yeah, they're. That's what I gathered. Yes, they're the the official King's army or Queen's army, and they've been sent to go deal ah. with whatever the heck is going on. Keep. I don't the peace, know what they're going to do. Presumably, they're going to say, "Oh, free castle." Yeah, something like that. But I, I like this scene because these are real people. They have this conversation about, like, I hope, it, uh, you know, my wife just had a baby. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I hope it's a girl because they, the girls take care of their old men, uh, but the, the, the boys all just get sent to die in someone else's war. And it's like, we're watching the war, and she, she you know, Arya is a participant in this game, and here we get to see some of the the regular people who are the ones who are these are just soldiers they're they're just fodder in a in a in an action scene in game of thrones and then you get to see them and they're actually kind of decent and worried about their families and they're not monsters at all and they're basically being sent wherever to be slaughtered whenever is necessary i really like that when all your characters in the show are extremely important chess pieces in this massive game, like they're rulers or they're people with dragons that can destroy everyone or they're about to fight this giant army of undead zombies, like it, it's really, really nice to, especially in Arya's storyline and to a lesser extent, Pod's, or not Podrick, uh, Sam's storyline, who we'll get to in a minute. It's really nice to take a break and just hang out with the regular people that are affected by the decisions of everyone else in the show. Yeah. I always like, um, when shows do that, when they give you one episode from the, uh, like the Zeppo and Buffy or that one, uh, yeah. I think Babylon 5 episode about Penn and Teller. Oh, yeah, the view from, view from the gallery, I think, yeah. Yeah. Or, the, or like the Lower Decks episode of uh, Next Generation. Sure. Yep. There needs to be more of that in Game of Thrones. Well, I, I think they're out of time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have the screen time left. Like Th- This was it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! Pass around the rabbit. That's it. Done. Even done. if we get to three-hour episodes towards the end of the series it's full steam ahead it's time to start killing people off and can, having can you imagine if the next to last episode was like five soldiers just uh, around a fire and like for 40 minutes they're just talking about their 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 loves their their worries their hope for the future and then like I, in the last five minutes they look up and a dragon flies overhead and they go huh and that's the end <laughs> i would love that except it's a clip show <laughs> I would love that if, you know, we build up to the big battle, 
like we've, they've done this before where the battle's about to happen. Oh, we're going to take a little breath. Stannis is going to go for a little walk. That'd be great. And it's all in a really cheap studio, too. Sure, sure. <laughs> Why not? They offer Arya some blackberry, homemade blackberry wine. Um, and there's that. There's an exchange that I think is interesting in how it's scripted because it goes against uh, convention a little bit, which is she's asked the why is a nice girl heading on her own to King's Landing and she takes the drink, uh, which, you know, th- that line is a setup for what makes you think I'm a nice girl, right? And her response instead is to just drink another big gulp of the wine, which made me laugh out loud. And then she drops the <laughs> line, which is, oh, I'm going to kill the queen. And they laugh again, and she is, uh, yeah, ha ha, yeah, because she totally is. I choose to believe that's a Shaun of the Dead reference, except it's not. (laughs) So we know who's on her list. It's Cersei, of course. She's a queen. Everybody knows that one of the things that happens at several points in this episode is uh, we are given the information that our characters are aware of what's going on. There's one example where a character doesn't know what's going on. But in most of the cases, things that we, we would be left wondering, like, well, wait, does, you know, Arya know that Cersei has named herself the queen or does uh, what else do we know? Do, does Cersei know that Tyrion is Daenerys's hand and they're sailing across the the sea? Um, and in almost all of these cases, the answer is yes. Yes, word has spread. We're not going to show a raven arriving, telling them the news. This is basically what's happened since the last season is enough information has spread that we don't have to watch all of these characters learning stuff we already know. They, they generally seem to know it all already, except, for, uh, ex- except uh, at the Citadel, where poor Sam is not aware of whether uh, Daenerys is, uh, is, is back or not. He just I don't think know. anybody yet knows how close Daenerys is. Right. They know she's I didn't coming, know how close Daenerys was. No. But that's the last scene. Um, north of the Wall, uh, we have uh, uh, a scene where there's a, a very nice long shot of uh, the marching zombie army, including zombie horses and zombie giants, which there's is fun. There's that giant undead army. Yeah. And uh, it's, but it's a vision that Bran is having because Bran and Mira have finally, after their escape where Hodor died and all of that and escaping across the uh, frozen waste, they have reached the wall where Dolorous Ed, uh, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, okay, I guess it's tough times. You got to take who you got, <laughs> let's, decides to let them in when, uh, when Bran points out that uh, Ed has seen at Hard Home and uh, the Fist of the First Men what the, what the zombie army can do and so he's like all right we'll let you in you gotta know that letting a stark into your castle is a bad idea at this point just asking for troubles from somewhere i don't know i figure he's just gonna mail him on to uh on on to uh further south on to john like here's your brother get him out of here doesn't this yeah doubly so go ahead oh i was gonna say doesn't this shouldn't this make it possible for the night king to get past the wall's magical wards the way he got past those uh, magical wards up north, around that cave. So there is a. Um, we'll come to it in a little bit, but I have I have a uh, an important question when we get to Old Town about the wall, 
and how and how safe the wall is. I think it is safe to say that when characters tell you very clearly that the wall cannot be breached and is totally safe, that is in the first episode of a season, that is a very good sign that the wall is not totally safe and can be <laughs> breached. I have so much to say about this later. Ugh. This wall is completely unsinkable. That's right. It's all look at this. Look at look at it. It's never going to change. Okay, good. Good talk. We'll get there. Uh, let's go down to Winterfell, because that's all we have at the wall this time. But at Winterfell, we got a lot with John and with Sansa. Um, John is telling them all that they need to look for Dragonglass, because Dragonglass is the secret weapon. It's the thing that kills the White Walkers, and they know that now. So that, that information needs to be spread. Um, and then he also declares that children between the ages of 10 and 16 will be drilling daily about fighting because we're going to need everybody to fight and not just the boys which uh which gets our uh, our our favorite young <laughs> lord what's her name i can never remember her name lee i think that's liana carstark it's liana mormont because she's oh. she's she's like jura mormont's uh, niece or well, something the mormont's are all awesome then yeah yeah so she she's like i'm not gonna i mean she, she's kind of mean she's like Listen, you. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna shrink back from a fight. I'm gonna fight, and I'm a little girl, and uh, your little girls are gonna fight too. And there's a great moment where you cut to the Onion Knight, and we know the Onion Knight's relationship with Stannis's daughter, right? And and he smiles in that moment, and I just love it because I love how much is embedded in that smile. Like it's not just that this is good, and he likes that she's given it to this this old guy, but I I think it's also just that he sees in her, you know, he he's, he made a connection with a young girl you know probably about her age before and and he appreciates how uh, tough she is here uh, I, so i i wrapped all that up together in that one look from the onion knight who basically says nothing in this episode but it's a really good little uh, <laughs> little moment from him i love her and i love that as far as i know she's only getting these lines because the actor was so good in her first appearance yeah oh yeah like oh what well, she's she's a major character now Tell tell George that he might when he gets to this part he'll want to beef her up a little. Going back to what you said, Jason, the fact that Game of Thrones has this shorthand over the course of the past six years of like, oh, a smile here means this, or this look here means this meant this scene where the Onion Knight said absolutely absolutely nothing uh, gave this uh, extra little scene a little bit of oomph that it didn't have before, and I love that Game of Thrones is able to do that. Yeah, you get these characters. The advantage of having all these characters with all this history is exactly that. You don't need to spell it out. Like, I know his history. I know his history with a little girl who died, and it was very upsetting. And uh, and and she taught him how to read, and he loved her. And her father killed her, basically. And so now we see this tough, young uh, woman, young girl, and she's a, she's a head of House Mormont at this point because all the rest of them are gone. And uh, she's taking charge, and he smiles. And it's like, it's good for their side. It's what John wants. It's what she's arguing for. But, you know, it's all that weight is there, too, which is great. Um, it also leads into this other uh, conflict, which is, I'd say, bad meeting management, which is like, you you know, if you're on the senior <laughs> management team, you need to discuss your issues in private and then go in as a unified team and uh-huh. talk to the troops about it. And here, uh, John, uh, you know, Sansa basically brings up... Um, First off, there's a, maybe a plan in the audience is like, let's tear down those castles of those traitors. And it's like, no, 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 we don't tear down the castles. The castles aren't traitorous. We just kick out the whole family of the traitors and put in new families. And John is like, 
no, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to have these kids, basically, like Liana Mormont, these kids who are the only ones left at the top of their families, swear and re-swear their oath to the Starks, um, which also I found funny because he's not a Stark, technically. Um, he's the king in the north, <laughs> so should they be swearing fealty to him as the king in the north, but also maybe to Sansa? As a, a an actual Stark, I don't know that that was a little confusing. But that's the t- decision he makes um, when Sansa's trying to undercut him, and then they talk about it afterward. And he says, "You need to stop um, undercutting me with people." And she's like, "Bob, but I want you to make the right decision." And they talk about uh, about Joffrey, and they talk about um, uh, oh, what's his name, Rob, Rob Stark. And I love this back and forth because oh, it's... Oh, yeah, there was a Rob once, wasn't there? Remember Rob Stark? And he died. Who? Is he the... Uh, mm, yeah, he died. He's handsome, <laughs> um, handsome Stark. Uh, but uh, Golden Boy Stark. The, but what I, so what I love about this whole thing with, with, um, with John and Sansa, not only is it putting them as, you know, ally slash not actually lined up i it's it, intriguing question with little finger hovering around of like is he trying to steer her against her brother Qu- you know and it's a real question because there's questions about their relationship that we can get to in a minute but what i really like about this is th- it, this is not just sansa it is the show asking the question which is all right john is the king in the north that's great we've seen and sansa mentions this we've seen what happened to ned and what happened to rob and so it's like okay are the choices that that you have as a leader either being rob or ned who is too nice and gets killed or you're cersei because that's the other model that sansa brings up in terms of leadership and i feel like this is exactly what john or maybe any leader has to deal with which is too far one way and you're weak and they kill you but too far the other way and you're a monster maybe we don't need kings i mean (laughs) i hate to disagree with the show's whole premise but one of the spots where <laughs> the song of ice and fire has always fallen down for me is I don't really care who's the rightful king according to bloodline, especially in a oh, case sure. like this storyline where there's been multiple uprisings just before the story started. Oh, neither neither John nor nor Cersei has any legitimacy at all. They just took power or were given power. But I think it's a question of leadership of like, what kind of king do you want to be if you're going to be given this power? Um, and and John is is trying to do the right thing and save humanity, basically, from the White Walkers. But Sansa is concerned about like, I don't I don't know, like the the, the being ruthless about betrayers. So nobody thinks to betray them. And it's the question of like, do I want everybody to not betray me because they're afraid I'm going to kill them and their families? Because that's kind of monstrous. I, I think it's an interesting question of like, so you want to be a king? What kind of king do you want to be or queen in the case of Cersei? See, I thought their discussion that was more interesting was John cares about the attack from the north. The armies of the undead are coming. Sansa says, well, there's a wall there. Who cares? It's fine. We know that the Lannister armies are going to attack us from the south. He says, well, it's winter. They probably won't get all the way up here. (laughs) And I think they're both (laughs) right. And I expect both giant armies to meet right around Winterfell. You know, why write fantasy if you're going to be caught up in the same trappings as the real world? I agree. This was a really fascinating scene, but the fact that these two people come together and have this really like well-acted, well-written, but relatively mundane argument that's basically the same question the show's been asking, oh, what's going to happen first? Is this like tiny little puny war going to destroy everyone, or is this literal giant army going to kill everyone and everyone you love? Like, I... 
it's interesting to me that this show is still harping on it. We'll talk about this later again, but the fact that the show, the show is still doing this after so long and still posing this question, oh, will they or won't they? What's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. Well, I think it's, I mean, the idea here is that we've reached a new state of affairs where there are fewer players, but they're still at odds with one another. And so there's a question of how it's, how it's all going to line up. And the fact that, that John is worried about the White Walkers is really interesting because, it, yeah, it, under normal circumstances, he would just be preparing for war with the Lannisters or, or you know, and King's Landing. But there is this other question. And I think that I think that's really interesting. The idea that John is a king who does not want to rule as much as he wants to protect humanity, whereas Cersei is still interested in in ruling Daenerys is interested in ruling and um that's a that's a that and I agree Monty I love that scene where they're standing on top of the wall and she says look um you know Cersei's gonna come here and Jon says she's a thousand miles away (laughs) I don't know that Cersei cares about ruling uh her attitude seems to be about Arya's at this point which is I will burn down the entire world if it gets revenge on the people I hate no, I think she wants to. I, I think she wants to gain revenge by ruling. I think she wants to control everything. She wants to crush her enemies and win. She wants to win. Let's put it that way. She wants to win because when Jamie and we'll get to it, but when Jamie says, "What dynasty are you going to have here? All our children are dead," and she's like, "Well, we'll win." <laughs> it's like there'll be a dynasty for us. There's nothing to her plan it's just we win and then whatever i don't even care because there is no legacy but she doesn't care she just wants to win the game well what i want to get like sansa's specific line about cersei is everyone who's ever crossed her she's found a way to murder yeah which i was fascinated by because that is exactly the description of Arya's uh, mission statement at this point (laughs) yeah like those two although one of them is sneaking around in disguise and one of them is queen are exactly the same person at this point, in my opinion. That's true, but Arya's not going to be sending ravens to people telling them to bend to the knee or be charged as a traitor, you know? like You're right, Cersei's game is to win uh, this whole Game of Thrones ding, and to have this dynasty that doesn't matter in the long run, because you're right, everyone's dead. Even though, you know, everyone, she still wants everyone to bend at their knee. And if she wanted to, she could go rogue like Arya and kill the very specific people that she wants dead, but she's not. She's doing this whole empire. I, I disagree with that statement. I think right now, the only reason she wants to be queen is to kill Sansa and to kill Tyrion and to kill anyone else that she feels has hurt her and her family. That hmm. might include Jamie at some point. It could. I mean, that I, I think you could maybe make the case that this is the path she's on is both of those things, which is literally the world has wronged her. And so she will lash out with all of her power to destroy everybody who has wronged her, which is everybody. I mean, that's the ultimate, perhaps, ultimate extent of what this philosophy is. I think it's interesting when you look at what the other Starks are doing, which is trying to save humanity, that we have Arya, who is just trying to kill for revenge at this point. I haven't yet seen a scene where Arya has to be faced with the choice of what do you want to use your power for right now? Revenge or helping us, you know, helping us save humanity from the White Walkers. Right now, she's just, she's never had to confront that, right? She's just been on this journey of self-discovery and murder. And so what happens when, if, if she's ever given that question of like, well, you could kill these people or, 
you know, or, or maybe that would be counterproductive. What if killing Cersei in the moment that she needs to kill Cersei is actually counterproductive to fighting the White Walkers? What would that, what would she decide at that point? Because the wrong decision would be to kill Cersei, but it's probably what she would choose. Arya kills Cersei immediately. John keeps Cersei alive. Like, I really don't think Arya cares about anything but her list of names. Yeah. Agreed. The fact that Cersei and Jamie's scene takes place over a painted map of Westeros that she's standing on and says, oh, this whole <laughs> thing is ours now. We just have to take it. Like, that's the game she's playing. And you're right. All of this stuff is at the core of her character and everything she's doing. But it speaks volumes to me that she's not just sending an assassin under the table to go kill the people she wants dead. Oh, I think she is. I think that's Euron Greyjoy. Well, let me be clear. Oh. I don't think she wants to rule Westeros. She will not care if she loses Westeros after getting her revenge. So she just wants to take out the people she wants to take out, and then... Uh, and then she doesn't care. She doesn't care. I Do really you... believe she hmm. is as short-sighted as Arya, that all she wants is revenge. And <sighs> right now, being queen is the easiest way to do that, because that way you get weirdly charismatic dudes with suspiciously well-kitted-out fleets showing up and offering to do you favors. Yeah, I don't know if I subscribe to your analysis of cersei I, um right. but uh but i think it's in- interesting the idea of like what's her ultimate end here is it really to rule because that's my feeling is she just wants to win the game she doesn't care what the cost is she's lost everybody so at this point she just wants to win just to, out of spite and for revenge and and you know but your analysis is interesting which is maybe she doesn't actually care about ruling um well i don't think she cares about ruling either i think she cares about winning and conquering everyone else and declaring herself the victor she clearly doesn't have a plan beyond that like she doesn't actually want to rule she just wants to win and kill all the people who she considers traitors also uh, we're getting a little bit uh, ahead of ourselves but since we're on Cersei um I really like the complete crazy paranoia that she has it like um and 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 she gets called on it at least once by Jamie where she's like Tommen betrayed us it's like how did he betray you? Because he loved Marjorie, who you, you who you uh-huh. set him up with. I mean, it's like, and and therefore it's okay that he died. Yeah. It, it's he betrayed uh, Cersei by liking Marjorie more than Cersei. Amazing. And then she also says something else about um, oh, there's somebody else. Is it about is it about Sansa? Maybe where she calls her a a murderous whore or something like that and it's like what yeah she goes on a laundry list of uh sansa's murdering whore uh Tyrion's the murder of our firstborn son they're doing all of these things to undermine us this is a personal vendetta against us is how she yeah. feels and she's also lot- very unkind about olena tyrell <laughs> she is oh dear god she, <laughs> she is but it's just yeah she's got a list there's there's no doubt about it she's got her own list just like uh just like Arya does of of the people who have wronged her um, but she's also got armies, so she can frame it in terms of defeating armies instead of just personally assassinating people. So that's I like your theory, Monty. I don't know if I agree with it, but I find it interesting and I will continue to watch for it because I think that's like if if the tool you've got is a faceless uh, man uh, Mission Impossible mask and some poison wine, you do it this way. And if you've got all the armies at King's Landing, you do it this way. But maybe in the end, their their goals are the same. That's uh, really well, what I'm picturing is Cersei gets revenge on some people, kills some more people. Kind of goes full Mad King, and then Jamie has to take her down, yep. proving that he's the king and queen slayer. And then I don't know what happens to him because that's pretty much his story over. Yeah, 
I agree. I, I feel like that is where we are um, inevitably going. One of the things um, I, I saw a couple of people talking in our uh, incomparable Slack about, like, did anything happen in this episode or is it just table setting? And I'm like, well, table setting is something happening because we have a lot of questions that I think we didn't necessarily have going into this season or exiting last season, which is what's the deal with John's relationship with Sansa? What's the deal with Jamie's relationship with Cersei? I mean, they are pitted against one another here. There's an implied threat at one point from Cersei. There's a there's a uh, strongly implied threat from Euron Greyjoy uh, toward Jamie, right? <laughs> so that is really the the question of how their relationship resolves. Um, and given that we saw Jamie with Brienne before, like I. You know, Jamie's never been portrayed as the monster that Cersei is. He's always been portrayed as somebody who's got more honor than he's given credit for. And well, he's going to know about always. He pushed no, that kid out of that tower well, right at the beginning of the okay. series. Yeah, but but boy, he was redeemed. Um, well, not rapidly, but within a couple of seasons, right? Yeah, we, they we, took their time. We we what, and what I'm saying is Jamie. <laughs> Jamie to me seems to be somebody who is. You know, who has at least somewhat of a soul and and is a little more introspective and understands like that some of the stuff that Cersei says is really not great. And what happens when that uh, relationship truly has a rift between it? How what what does that happen? And does that happen? Um, something to watch because I think that's very clearly what is being set up here. When um, all of your characters, again, are massive political figures in this world, your personal stories are also the things that are happening. Yeah, people are like, oh, there's a table setting episode, nothing happened. Of course things are happening, because these are the characters that are going to be doing all the things that actually happen later. A battle didn't happen, but this conversation was really, really freaking important for the rest of the season, I'm right. sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't agree that nothing happened. Like, an entire family got wiped out, a castle got taken... Yep. I know we can't talk about Daenerys until the end, but that's huge and yes. something I've been waiting for forever. It is. We'll, we'll get there. Um, I have a couple more notes about either of these uh, two sort of central sections here that I want to talk about. So first, let's talk about Littlefinger. Littlefinger has a whole scene with Sansa that's <laughs> super creepy because it's a Littlefinger scene where he's like, I just want you to be happy. What would make you happy? And um, meanwhile, Brienne <laughs> is, tra- is, is training with Pod and Tormund is watching her because Tormund really loves her and uh, because she's a big woman with the sword and he really is excited by that. Um, but Littlefinger with his, you know, what do you want that you do not have? And Brienne comes in and says, why is he still here? Like, yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm yeah. sure you'd say something clever. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> right? So, um, and then the exchange is, he wants something. I know exactly what he wants. So I guess my question for you is... W- in the first scene, we're worried about Sansa and, like, is she doing Littlefinger's bidding or has she been manipulated into behaving the way she is by Littlefinger? I think it's a fair question. But here at the end, it's interesting that she's also kind of pushing him away. Like, there, there's a, what's the, what's the relationship between them at this point? Is he, you know, is he trying to have it happen this way or is he, um, does he still have some work to do to, to use her as his way into the you know being whatever more power he needs to accumulate it's it's a real question for me do you have any insights into this well of course he is but sansa's not gonna let him do that i hope not because he's bad i feel like after last season sansa finally shed all of her fairy tale ideas about what kind of universe she's in totally and now she is a player well, I like the fact that she basically in successive scenes tells John, uh, you should you should listen to me. You need to be smarter about this. And she tells Littlefinger, buzz off. 
<laughs> right? Like, uh, neither neither of you is going to tell Sansa what to do anymore. And she feels so far away from that, like, princess character that she was in the first season. She is she is more like Cersei. She is more self-assured. Um, I do love that about it. Um, but she says, I know exactly what he wants. Uh, what's interesting is, she, you know, she's not saying she's not going to give it to him. She might. She might not. But she's deciding what she wants to do and what her play is. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I'm really happy that Sansa is a more self-actualized character now. I do look forward to her doing something. Yes, she's going to do something. She's going to do something important. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. At the end, she says, uh, Littlefinger saved us, which is why I'm still here, or something along those lines. And I know that she's not keeping him around out of uh, you know generosity or thanks, because nobody has any generosity or thanks toward Littlefinger unless you own the brothel in King's Landing or something like that. Like, she has some if not ulterior motive, at least plan for him to be there in the long run. And she's not going to let him get what well, he well, wants he out of it. Well, he controls the armies of the Vale, and they need those. Yeah, just from a practicality standpoint, exactly. it's, a, it's a lot of men to fight whoever, whatever battle they're going to fight. And and that alone is a reason to keep him around. I like that nobody wants him there, but he's got a reason for them to keep him around, right? He's always, that's that's Littlefinger. He's, he's always playing the game, and he's got those armies because he, you know, romanced the crazy lady and then, and then pushed her out the moon or he's got uh he's got the armies of the veil vale under his control he's okay so my next question is about what's the deal with urine Greyjoy? um he shows he's up, awesome that's what he shows up swaggering in with a whole bunch of new ships i had that thought of like why don't they just take over king's landing while they're here i guess they they've got the ships but the there's a big army in king's <laughs> landing not to do that but it is they built these ships you know in just not that long they built a whole brand new fleet that is the greatest armada in the history of westeros so that's good to out know. of all those forests we saw on the iron island remember all those forests mm-hmm. Well, I, I imagine that they just they just went somewhere with Forrest and ransacked it and killed everybody there. There's a great line from Jamie, which is, um, they're not good at anything. They're bitter, angry little people that steal things they can't make. I just, that, as somebody who's never liked the Ironborn, that made me crack up. That was great. They're just unpleasant little pirates. That's who they are. But uh, even Euron is uh, makes fun of his people. He's like, "Yeah, the islands are terrible. The people are awful and ugly. But you know what? We got boats. <laughs> boats are good, right? You want us? Because I got I and I went into exile and became the greatest captain of the fourteen seas. So this is the this is the deal. Is he wants to impress Cersei? He wants to marry her, but but she she says no because he's untrustworthy, and he he offers uh, that he'll return with a priceless gift, which is strongly hinted is her brother. Yeah, you got any other priceless gifts? I mean, it could be anything you know, any enemy of hers. But he brings up he references Tyrion at least once, so I think yeah. that's what I'm led to believe at least. I don't know. I, I, I do. Although I feel like stuff happened in this episode with Euron, I'm a little impatient. I like him, but he hasn't done a whole lot yet. He's building all those ships. He's got all those ships. He pushed his brother off the bridge. Uh, he got to be the king, and well, then he built a bunch of ships off camera. That's that's yeah, that's his he, game. He, he had a mighty fleet with cool sails that stuck out sideways, 
and cool drills on the front, and he set sail and just went to King's <laughs> Landing and have a talk with somebody. Come on, man. He's got guns and ships, and show, so the balance shifts. But like, we- he just shows up and tries to do this thing, and it doesn't seem to work yet, and I don't know what his arc is going to be, because if he says he's going to try to go get Tyrion, then great, that's going to be a plot that's going to be dropped for four episodes and then come back at the end of the season. It's going to be weird. Him and his wooden boats are not going to do great against dragons. Well, that might exactly. It might be like, fun to see that, uh, see them trying. But this is definitely one of something the, may happen. There may be a battle. The great thing in this series scene, and we mentioned it in passing, is you know she's got the map from the opening credits and or the opening pages of the book painted on. She's got, having it painted on the uh, on the floor of a room so that they can do their strategizing. But it allows them to point out that yes, they are uh, as as Jamie says, she's the she's the queen of the of three kingdoms at best because she's got the Tyrells against her. She's got the Sand Snakes against her. Daenerys is a Dragonstone, presumably, and the North is against her. And uh, so they don't have a lot going for them right now other than the ironborn and i like that that they're you know jamie thinks that they've got nothing and her response by the way uh very convenient where where he's like we have no friends and she says or do we cut to <laughs> lots and lots of boats sailing into king's landing did she time that on purpose <laughs> jamie don't come to me until tomorrow afternoon tomorrow afternoon right right come then and ask no, she- me that question She's just so important that everything she says causes narrative events to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing I could imagine is like, what do you mean? Of course, I, I, my father didn't teach me things for 40 years without me learning something. Pause. Well, what is it? Uh, come back tomorrow morning about 10 and look out at the harbor. <laughs> then you'll see what my answer to my question. Okay, good night. I got to go. That's, I, I just, it, it's a funny bit of, uh, of narrative, uh, play that i thought was funny because it's a great smash cut it's like look right ironborn ships that's that's what i was saying there but you know that was perfect timing that's what i'm saying maybe she's that good maybe she's that good anyway euron's there he's got two good hands so he's fun he can take care of her he is fun he is fun i think he's going to be a good i mean he is he is obviously one of our our new uh, villains who is going to be just when some of the people we're rooting for are in a position where they're going to do something good, then all those ships are going to show up and ruin everything. So that's definitely a good villain for this season, I think. Um, okay. Let's empty some chamber pots and <sighs> eat some stew. Nope. Gross. Nope. Poops ah, and soups. Nope. Veto. <laughs> in old town. I, I, Sam has a terrible I, I, job. I watched this while eating breakfast and I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> is this what working in the library is like yes because oh wow i check with my wife this is how libraries work is there's uh chamber pots and who is staying a, at the library it's more well it's the it's it's, a, it's the meisters though right in the citadel so this is like all the old meisters and i guess maybe there are there are, are meisters they they have they also have like uh i i imagine like they're so intent on studying something that they just you know they they stay in the study room and they use the chamber pot and then you gotta like come by and clean it out and, and bring, bring them a new one and all of that uh i believe uh streamers do that today the 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 start of this scene i was like oh okay sam's job is bad and then when the montage picked up speed it made me laugh i enjoyed <laughs> it, it just kept going it did i loved it 
It was great. <laughs> this is terrible. It's a terrible job. He's he's there for a reason. But hey, I didn't realize Jim Broadbent was going to be in this episode yeah. as the Archmeister, Maester, whatever he is. Art. He's the he's uh having Sam weigh organs in a dead Maester's body, uh, and they have a nice a conversation. drinker's liver. If I ever saw one, and I love Jim Broadbent. Uh, I think he does a great job here. It's like just getting a good actor who's going to really uh, make that dialogue sing, and he really does. He's great, and I like his character because, for once, somebody actually says, hmm, I don't think you'd be making this whole story up. I actually believe you. Yeah. No one ever says that. Yeah. He's no like, one says, you know, kids, I think there is a monster rampaging in the city. <laughs> he's, no, no, he believes, he's, he's learned. He believes it. Um, he has a really nice speech about how they're the world's memory, and otherwise it would be like uh, a dog. People would be like dogs where they have no memory from day to day, and they keep the they keep the, the past and all of that, which I think is great. Um, the bad news is that he also believes that the evidence, the fact that the world has survived until now is proof that the world will continue to survive, <laughs> which is a really major. I mean, the, the thing is, that is a mistake people make. That is a common logical error. And he's making it here where he thinks, look, we've survived everything. So we're going to continue to survive, which, again, hangs a lantern on the fact that, no, this may actually be an existential moment for humanity on Westeros and elsewhere because as i said earlier he has that line about how the wall has stood through it all and you know my note there is that is really bad if you're a person who understands how foreshadowing works yeah (laughs) also it's not that useful being humanity's memory if the special memories you don't allow anyone to see that's true but sam just wants to read a couple of those books dude but isn't that the um that's like the decadence of the crumbling society that they're the 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 maesters are supposed to be um uh humanity's memory but instead they're walling off memory and keeping it to themselves i think that says something about maybe some insidious uh rot inside the 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 culture of the of the maesters too just like the culture of westeros everybody's forgotten you know what happened in the long night and all of that um it's a great it's a great oh, speech, I just read but i like how he's smart and he believes him but he's also kind of impossibly arrogant and refuses to believe the possibility that this is a threat altogether it's yeah. great i just read that as old white man bs like them <laughs> not wanting to have everyone have all the library books like I, I i don't know what bothers me the most about this is that i'm sick after all these seasons i'm sick of this being a dramatic tension point where People still believe that the White Walkers are not going to come and everything's going to be fine. The walls stood for thousands of years. This will be fine. Every winter that has come is ended, so we're going to be fine. We know this. And it's interesting seeing characters try to prove this in a way, almost like a, not quite procedural, but like a detective story. But I'm sick of the show spending so much time on people believing that this isn't going to happen. Because we know they believe it. We know it's real. (laughs) I don't know. This is the fireworks factory already. Yeah, this is the I I like it because this is the the frustration of the audience. This is them saying, you know, we've all seen it. We're in the same position as John and Sam are. We've seen them. We saw them in the first episode. Right. But but they are mythical monsters from a time so long ago that nobody else believes it's anything but a legend. And how do you convert them into believing? And what's interesting about Jim Broadbent take here is that he totally believes it and just doesn't think it's a big deal which is even more galling than the others uh, hang on though what are those books that sam is reading 
when he's supposed to be eating and feeding his kid. It's like the tale of the long dark. It's an illustrated uh, book about (laughs) the, I don't know, the long dark and the white walkers, I guess. Well, the tale of the long dark is what Gilly was reading to the kid. Um, Sam was looking through some other books. I don't know. And I wasn't entirely clear, but I thought those could have been books that Jim Broadbent let him take home. It's the slush pile. They want all the good undiscovered (laughs) novels for themselves. Hmm. Apocrypha. Anyway, if uh, Jonathan Price were still on the show, it would be a very clever thing to say that uh, the maesters in Old Town are information storage, not information retrieval. But he's not on the show, so we can't say that. Probably somebody who was in Brazil was on this show. Are you sure Jim Broadbent wasn't in Brazil? You're not. I'm not. He'd be fine. It's entirely possible. Um, he was in the Borrowers, which is basically the same movie. The the uh, what what <laughs> Sam does find is that uh, there is a whole bunch of dragon glass right next to Dragonstone, and he needs to tell John that. So presumably he will pass that information on to John. And also we find out in a very final moment that our friend Jorah Marmont is locked inside a cell in the Citadel and asking if Daenerys has reached Westeros yet. We haven't seen Jorah in a little while. He His arm is covered with grayscale. Ooh. And there's a question of what he's doing there. I was thinking, you know, if you're looking for a cure for grayscale, would you not go to the Citadel and seek a cure there where they have all human knowledge? I don't know. Yeah. Welcome to the Citadel. We have chamber pots. You can have one of those if you want, but oh, you have gray- not much else we can do. Oh, you have grayscale. We have to lock you up because otherwise you will give everyone else grayscale and try to kill them. And that we can't allow. You get the special chamber pot. Yeah, it's made of grayscale. I'm, I'm pleased to report that Jim Broadbent was in Brazil. All right. <laughs> Joke accepted, then. Of Hooray. course he was. Of course he was. All right, well, Jorah's there anyway, so Jorah's story is not done. We at least know where Jorah is, and he's a monster, but maybe he'll get better. Who knows? Maybe there will be some cool scene where Sam kills a bunch of people, and then Jorah like, breaks down the door, and they fight together. Maybe. I mean, don't forget that Sam knew his uh, his dad, his uncle, his uncle, maybe, who was the the yeah. commander of the Night's Watch before John, the great, the bear. Um, I think I'm now rooting for House Mormont to take the throne. Right. Well, and then he could- I know he, three of them, and I like all three. He could meet up with his niece. Yeah. Yeah, or grandniece or whatever she is. Um, all right. The, we have two more things to get through. Oh, my God. Okay. The Hound, Thoros of Mir, and Beric Dondarrion, the resurrected, the other character who has been resurrected, other than Jon Snow, are traveling around together because, of course, we've discovered that the Hound wasn't really dead last year. They find the, the house of the dead farmer and daughter that uh, that they ran into several seasons ago <laughs> where, where they left them what to die. And they died. And, well... I like that the, the hound immediately recognized it and is like, no, 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 no. We shouldn't go in there. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, we're going to go. No, they're not going to have But his excuses food. were so bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, they might have weapons in there. And everyone's like, it's clearly been deserted for like four seasons. <laughs> he just doesn't want to go in there. Um, but the key things in this block are, uh, he asks Bar- Beric Dondarrion, why do you keep getting resurrection resurrected? Why are you so special? And he says, I don't know. Um, but they, they they talk about the the red god, and uh, he makes a funny line about it's just my luck that I'm here with a bunch of fire worshippers. <laughs> um, yeah, and then they say, look into the flames, bloody fire worshippers, and the <laughs> and uh, the 
Hound gets a vision of the wall, uh, the the castle where the wall meets the sea, which is where they just sent people uh, from the Night's Watch, the new Night's Watch, which is the Wildlings, and uh, a mountain that looks like an arrowhead, and the thousands of the dead are marching past. And this is his vision, so the Hound is uh, starting to maybe have his mind opened a little bit. And then we also see him digging a grave for the farmer and the daughter. This is definitely a very changed person. He says he tries to read the uh, the the speech of the of the multi faced god, uh, the 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 funeral speech, and fails to remember more than the first part of it. And says, "I'm sorry, you're dead. You deserve better." So it's very uh, uh, interesting changes going on with the hound, and he's now having visions uh, as he travels with this red priest and with the resurrected warrior. Um, I don't know where this story is going at all, but I kind of love it. I loved that they didn't show us the visions. Yeah, it's just normally fire. They, normally they say show, don't tell. But what they showed us was Sandor Clegane's reactions to seeing the vision, which is way more interesting than seeing like just the wall fall or whatever it was he said. I thought it was really cool to watch him sell that he was seeing that stuff. Agreed. I, yeah, I agree. I like I like I like that uh, actor. I think he's done a lot with that character, and this progression is surprising and fascinating. And yeah. I can't. I, I'm very interested to see where this goes because they are obviously on the team of fighting the the White Walkers. Whoever was behind the resurrection of of uh, of Jon Snow, obviously, is also the the same uh, Red God who's the source of the information here. I keep thinking they're going to run into Melisandre at some point, right? Because they're all part of yeah. that they're all you know rahilor worshipers um so they'll pro- presumably get together at some point um but not yet so interested to see where that goes i invoke that- the law of conservation of characters to yeah, they- agree with you they have well, to right it seems i don't know the logistics but can we get Braun in with that team Oh, that's a good idea. Well, we'll see where Braun. I, I, where is Braun? I, mean, I have literally no idea. I think he was with. Was he with the Sand Snakes last, or was he with Jamie? He was with Jamie, th- so he should be at King's Landing. I think. I thought he went over and killed all the Sands or something. No, no, he he was he and Jamie were going to go kill the Sands. Yeah, but then they didn't. They got captured and and shipped back. So I think Braun is back in King's Landing, but. I hope Bronn and uh, Tyrion can get back together sometime. That would be good. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, There's a lot of fun reunions that should eventually happen as this show winds up. I agree. It's been so long since any Starks saw each other. Uh, who knows what Rickon looks like at this point? No, is he dead? No, we know how what Rickon looks like. He's totally dead because he died at the beginning of the Battle of the Bastards. Ramsay Bolton killed him. Sorry to I break it to you, Monty, that. but Rickon is dead. No, but we've got, we've got, I think the big one is that Spoilers Bran... Spoilers for the show we're watching. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the big one is that now that Bran is inside the wall, there's a good chance that Bran will be seeing John and or Sansa pretty soon. So yeah, that'll, that'll be fun. That'll be good. They they legit might not recognize him. Yeah, he's grown up a lot <laughs> in the interim, but that would be good because he's got all sorts of Three-Eyed Raven stuff to tell them about uh, the White Walkers. You, you're starting to see the battle lines being drawn here in terms of who knows what and who cares about what. And it's interesting because it's not a us versus them. It's this weird multi, you know, you've got the protect us from the White Walkers group. You've got the uh, Cersei Lannister group with uh, Euron Greyjoy. And then you've got the Daenerys 
group who's just you know trying to take over from starting in, in Dragonstone. So where where will that go next? Who knows? Uh, speaking of Daenerys, let's go there. This is the last moment. Daenerys Ooh. arrives in Westeros at last. It took her yes six seasons and most of one episode to do it. It's a di- so six seasons dial- and a movie. Yes, and dialogueless scene in which she arrives. The dragons are flying around the castle at Dragonstone, which we've seen before, of course, because this is where Stannis uh, hung out for a while when we met Stannis and plotted what he was going to do with the Onion Knight um, and with Melisandre, and they had the shadow baby and all of that stuff happened here. Um, the dragons are flown around. They land on the beach. She, Daenerys grabs some sand. They climb. Uh, they go through the gates. They climb up to the top. Uh, uh, she enters the castle. Uh, we see that table with the map where Stannis has been planning his battles, and there's still like pieces on the on the map. It's like a table that's the shape of Westeros, and it's all silent. Uh, at what point uh, they uh, like somebody steps forward to walk with her into the throne room, and uh, and I think it's Missandei holds a uh, uh, Grey Worm back and is like, you know, let her do this alone. But there's no dialogue, and uh, Tyrion follows her, and they get she gets to the head of the table, and she says shall we begin and that's the end of the episode and um you know Tyrion Lannister Peter Dinklage doesn't have a line of dialogue in this episode it doesn't matter this scene is so great and it's silent other than you know music and sound effects and it is the culmination of a major plot line that we have invested this entire show into and I thought it was amazing yeah uh my favorite thing was I don't think we'd seen that entrance to Dragonstone before where they land down at the beach and go through those giant gates. Yeah. As they walk past the mountain, that looked like a mountain that would have obsidian in it. Doesn't it? I, I think I think you may be right there. This was a good scene. I appreciate the fact that, you know, they finally did this after so long. But the, again, the fact that the show is doing things like, okay, after all this time, this happens. It was a great scene. I kind of wish they had given it a little bit more narrative weight, if that makes sense. Um, I also appreciate that this reminded me a lot of the uh, Good Eats teaser that just came out a few days ago, <laughs> where everything was kind of dark and in shadows, and like, oh, we're back here after so long. This is so important. It reminded me a lot of that. It was a good scene. I just wish they did more with it. Do you not? Do you not think? I mean, I don't. I don't know how much more weight it could be given, or how much more they yeah. could do with it. This is the. This is the culmination of her entire life's promise from when her brother was talking to her which we saw Viserys briefly in the in the previously on scenes <laughs> this is like hi Viserys this is Crown the, for king this is just like so much effort in and her long journey and this is the i mean it's not the end because now she has to take back Westeros but this is her setting foot i don't know i felt the narrative weight i thought this was a, a spectacularly great scene I, i'm not quite sure what more they could what they could have done with it I mean, I'd like to believe that while she's like very slowly walking up those steep steps that like down on the shore, they're like, unload the horses. Let's go. We got to get get those horses off like that behind her. There's a whole industry happening, but she's allowed to to walk quietly up to the top and just ponder her for herself first. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting tired of it because it's been so long and she's been trying to get to Westeros for so long that the fact that it's finally happened doesn't make me think, yes, it's finally happening, makes me think, okay, it's happening, let's move on now. Well, well see, I was fully, like, when reading the books, I kind of tuned out somewhere in the third book, and I realized I was time to stop reading because I was just skipping Daenerys chapters because I was like, so what? She's on a different continent. She's not on a different continent anymore. Her story is going to intersect with the other stories 
Finally. Very, very soon. And in fact, I was thinking that for the actress, um, it's like, oh, she gets to go to like all those other parts of the world where they shoot Game <laughs> of Thrones that she's never been to. because She gets she... to meet some of the cast in character for once. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was big. But that's fair, Brian. I can I can see the other side, which is, you know, finally. <laughs> but I, I was I thought it was a huge thing that was given appropriate treatment and i liked it at the at the beginning of the season because it means that they can just dive into what happens next instead of having it be her on the ocean was the capper last season but i I liked that moment of setting this is this is columbus discovering the new world this is napoleon returning from exile this is a monumental part of this story to have it so i thought it was great and it's not just any castle that's the ancestral home of the targaryens yeah like that's why they have all those dragons reclaiming her birthright at least one small piece of it i, I was super enjoyed. i kind of wanted to see a dragon like land on a little like dragon pedestal that has been there all this time from when there were dragons <laughs> before and, and they're like oh that's what that's for dragons land on that oh we may yet see something like that but i like that it's like yeah this is where the targaryens hung out with their dragons and, and you know they weren't just for ornamentation they were actual dragons and here they are again but uh, you know, I guess we'll I guess we'll see whether they stick around Dragonstone at all. That's the one thing is like, I, what I don't want to have happen is Daenerys's tendency to reach somewhere and then stay there and try to rule it for a few years. She's not allowed to do that this time. I shall free this sand. <laughs> Her next four episodes are just sending ravens back and forth to Jon Snow yeah. and Cersei. It's all no, you surrender and well, no, you. Also, where do we put the horses? There's no <laughs> the horses don't like the sand. Where can we put the horses? We have lots and lots of horse people. Uh, they need some grass to run around on. But um, I imagine that we're very in the very near future going to be seeing them uh, meeting up with Dorne and and with the Tyrells, right? Because we already saw that they were that was part of the deal here is that they were all kind of like joining together to conspire against the Lannisters. So presumably that's already part of the plan that we're going to see Elena Tyrell um, meeting with Daenerys. And uh, yes. and that'll be a lot of that'll be a lot of fun. And the sand snakes meeting with Daenerys, and that'll be a lot of fun. And believe me, I don't say that things with the sand snakes are fun because they're not. But that I'm looking forward Aww. to because yeah, yeah, you know, not a big Dorne fan. I hear they have great great wine though, great wine in Dorne. Also, they killed Doctor Bashir. It makes me sad. Anyway, um, <laughs> what else? Did we, anything we didn't cover? I feel like we covered everything. We covered everything. That was a very thorough analysis. There's a lot go first. So first episodes, right? Like this is this is the way they do it. They want you to see everybody, more or less, and they want to set people on paths. And I feel like this episode did a great job of that. I didn't feel like any of these things was like, yeah, well, remember these people? Well, wait till next week to find out what they're going to do. It was like very much like here are the new dynamics. Here are the where these issues are cropping up between characters who you previously sort of thought were together, but now are not quite. They're a bit at cross purposes. And, you know, with all the maps, with Cersei mapping it up in King's Landing, it's like we know where the players are. We've, you know, we've all gotten to look at the maps. Now now the action has to begin, and uh, and uh, it's great. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm super excited about next episode. Let's start killing people off. Yeah. 
It's time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, this is the first time I've been really, really, really excited for Game of Thrones in a while because this did such a good job of not only refreshing memories of people that haven't watched any episodes in over a year. Hi, that's me. But also set up those new dynamics that lets you continue in a way that is interesting and not just more of the same. I, I still maintain that the first season of Game of Thrones is the best because it's the tightest and can focus on uh, specific characters in a much more in-depth way. But this season is promising to be that again with all of these paths they've set up for these characters that have a logical conclusion. This whole thing is just uh, telling story now, right? There's no, there, there's no more setup. This is all um, playing the plot out to the end, right? They know exactly how much story they have left, and they are rolling it out. And I feel that that this we <laughs> talked about they? this. Yeah, they they do. They I think they do know exactly how much story they have left. And I mean, how come they keep announcing a different number of episodes for the season and how long the episodes are? Well, I think that that, that is the just expansion. one guy in avid scrambling. Well, I, bottom line is like if you're the Game of Thrones producers and you say, you know what, we need 110 minutes for this last episode. Is HBO going to say no? Cut 40 minutes out of it. They're going to be like, take us. In fact, I think that's the deal. Is that they said, let's we're gonna we're gonna give you roughly the same amount of of entertainment that you got you, you get in a normal season, but we want to change the structure a little bit. And they're like, whatever, guys. Literally, do whatever you want. <laughs> the last episode <laughs> like- can be a cartoon if you want. It's fine. <laughs> That's what happened with the get down. It was weird. Mm. All right, we oh, I haven't seen that we yet. Will, oh, I loved it. We will be back. We will be back next week with our uh, get down podcast to talk about no more uh, other uh, HBO or Netflix shows. Uh, we're going to talk about episode two, Stormborn. I can already analyze that title, but we'll we'll leave it till next week, and uh, we will be back trying to do that right after uh, right after it airs instead of waiting a day like we did for this thing. Thank you for your patience for waiting a day, and uh, I look forward. <laughs> How generous! Of you. I know. Thank you very much. For I know uh, I know it's very nice. I hear from people who say they like to listen to this podcast the morning after they watch Game of Thrones, like on yeah. their way to work, and we couldn't do it this time, but next time we'll try to do it. Uh, and for the the next six more weeks, because there's seven episodes in this season, apparently, unless they change their mind again. Um, <laughs> all right, Monty Ashley, thank you. We mentioned the poop, right? There was a bunch of poop. There's a lot of poop. It's true. Not dragon poop, though. We haven't seen that yet, but give it time. Uh, Brian Hamilton, thank you. I was eating breakfast when that scene happened, and dear God, it was not fun. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Yeah, that's right. I don't recommend that. Don't, don't do that. Uh, thanks, everybody out there, for listening. We'll see you next week. 